This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Seven years ago, it's 2004. We're in the middle of an election. And uh, so happened I was listening to some uh, talk show, talk on the radio, a talk show host, political talk show. And they were talking about one of the candidates, who I won't name, that, you know, I probably wasn't going to support. But as the uh, radio host was trying to be funny and was trying to, uh, no doubt, get more listeners to his show, he said one of the rudest, uh, just, just most vicious comments that I've heard on the radio or heard in the media. In fact, uh, I really believe that if the national media would have picked up on this, because not, that doesn't always happen, that it would have been a huge story. And so seven years ago, I changed the radio station, and I've never listened to that man again. I mean, that's my right. I'm a consumer. That's my choice that I decided not to listen to that show ever again because I was deeply offended by what he said. Now, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I want to talk to you a little bit about offense. There's a really good teaching that's circulated Christianity the last 15 years or so that talks about the danger of being offended. And that is so true that I think it should be very rare when we get offended. But there are times when getting offended is appropriate. Sometimes the action or words of another warrants an offense. And the reason that should be so rare and shouldn't be about trivial things or silly things is for the very reason I don't listen to this particular radio personality anymore. Is once you're offended by someone or something, you never receive from that person or that institution again. So, if you get offended, you won't receive any more. That's why I don't want you to get offended by me, because I want you to stay here a long time. Uh, and no doubt, I'll try not to say goofy things or offensive things or immature things. And when I do, hopefully you'll forgive me. Because if you decide to be offended by me, then you'll never be able to receive from me again. So that context brings us to Mark chapter 6. Because within Mark chapter 6, you're going to see a remarkable statement. I mean, when I read this statement studying uh, last week and this week on this passage, it just grabbed me. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And let's just stay right here in this this scripture for a second. I want verse 2 to sink in, this phrase. And many who heard him were amazed. So the people in Nazareth were amazed, and rightfully so. I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God, teaching with authority, healing the sick, doing incredible things. But now, as we continue, we find here that there is a turning point in the story because this began to be the chatter among the people. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, 
Judas and Simon aren't his sisters here with us. Now, here's the remarkable phrase. And they took offense at him. Let that sink in for a second. The people in Jesus' hometown were offended. Even though they were amazed, they were offended by Jesus. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, and he quotes, which likely was a phrase in that day, a prophet is not without honor except in his own, own town, among his relatives and in his own home. In verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I know you've been in that situation before where you've heard about the success of somebody else. Or you've heard about the success of another group. And you just think, how in the world did that happen? You're talking about that guy? That, you're talking about her? She got the promotion? Or that group? They did what? And you come to a point that you can't deny data. You can't deny the size of the group or the success of the business plan or the popularity of the product, whatever, whatever, however this applies to you. But you're, you're looking for the catch. What is the story behind the story? I mean, what's really going on here? I'm going to objectively recognize success. I'm going to, I'm going to recognize good things are happening. But there has to be a catch. There has to be a story. Here's the first thing I want you to write down on the back of your bulletin. The people in Jesus' hometown... They, they, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. Jesus amazed, but they didn't accept. Jesus amazed, but they didn't accept. Looking at verse 1 again, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. But then the tone changes. Where did this man get these things? You know, it's very possible to be amazed with somebody, but to not accept them. Kobe Bryant plays basketball for the L.A. Lakers, and I watch him play, and I'm amazed at the stuff he does on the court, but I would never want him on the team I support. Just me personally, I don't like his demeanor, I don't like his attitude, and uh, I wouldn't want him to play for the Dallas Mavericks. But the Dallas Mavericks, it is God's will for them to beat the Lakers in this playoff series. So if you're on the intercessory prayer team, please add that to your list. So you can, you can look at a guy like Kobe and, and, and be amazed at him but not accept him. And this is the very dynamic that was happening in, in Nazareth. Jesus, they couldn't deny his effectiveness. They couldn't deny there was something on him. But they wanted to diminish him. They really didn't want to accept Jesus for who God had made him. It was okay for Jesus to be a great teacher or a rabbi. It was okay for Jesus maybe to be classified as a prophet. It was okay for Jesus uh, in those days to be considered a rock star. But for Jesus to be who God, who he was, 
the Messiah, that would be blasphemous. And so here it was, they, they recognized, they were amazed, but yet they didn't accept who he was. And they didn't really embrace him as a God he was supposed to be. And, you know, we forget how us, Jesus, was like. I mean, he was one of us. And if you look at verse 3 there, it just says something really interesting. He says, Wasn't, isn't he the carpenter? I mean, isn't this the carpenter? I mean, you can just imagine a scenario in that village there where two people are, are meeting and they're having a cup of coffee. I don't really know what they had back then. Sorry, I didn't research that. But can you just, just go with the coffee thing? Uh, uh, they're having a cup of coffee and someone says... I love your coffee table. Where do you get it? The owner of the home responds, Jesus made it. Jesus made this coffee table. You mean the Jesus who teaches on Saturdays in the synagogue and who's a really good speaker? Yeah, that's him. He did a good job. He, he, was, he was the guy who used to work in the carpenter shop. He was familiar. He was more well-known in that village than he was in anywhere else in the world. And so then they go on and they ask the question, is it this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? They, they name his four brothers. Very likely if at this point, Joseph, his father, had already passed away since they didn't mention his name. And here we find Jesus had at least four stepbrothers. James ended up leading the church of Jerusalem. He wrote the book of James. Uh, Judas, who you see here, wrote on the screen, he wrote the book of Jude. So at least two of those four stepbrothers became great proponents of Jesus and great followers. But at this time and in this context, the people were saying, yeah, this guy is amazing, but we know his mom. We know his brothers. We use his furniture. He's really like us. See, there's something within us. That, that we, we want our leaders to be flawed. And that's why even in the political realm, that now in contemporary times, if a political candidate has some kind of marital discretion or some kind of, uh, some kind of thing that makes him seem like just another guy or another girl, it actually helps them in the polls. Probably, probably because... You know, we all feel a little better about our sinfulness or our weaknesses if our leaders are weak too. But Jesus isn't just a leader. He's God. And they're trying to diminish Jesus and they're trying to make Jesus less than who he is. He's eternal. He's always existed, will always exist. He is God. He's the Messiah. And yet those that were amazed by him didn't even accept him. They didn't even know who he was. Write the second thing down. That this is that Jesus was close. They were too familiar. Jesus was close, but they were way too familiar. And so he says a statement, a prophet's not honored in his hometown. Can I just challenge you in this? That when the things of God begin to become familiar to you. You can lose touch with the spirit of Jesus. When it just comes habitual, when it just becomes religious, 
when it just becomes uh, part of your pattern and you're going through the motions, but your heart is disconnected from worship, your heart's disconnected from communion, you're not even anticipating God to speak through his word, you can be very close to Jesus, very close to him, but not realize he's there. He's too familiar. This weekend marks the anniversary of something that if you lived in Middle Tennessee a year ago, we'll never forget the floods of 2010. I'll never forget that Sunday. Uh, If you've ever been around me, that I I have this kind of macho thing, this macho attitude of like, we're not canceling church. You know, we're going to have church. I don't care who's here. We're going to do it. And you know, that really hasn't worked out that well for me, has it, Beth? Uh, but uh, so that morning we're having church, and that particular morning you, I've never even crossed my mind that we would cancel church for rain. I mean, but, but th- this was a once-in-a-lifetime event. We, we believe God it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime event. And as, as time unfolded, a great opportunity happened with our church. Uh, in, the, in the subsequent weeks, uh, we partnered with Witten Elementary School, and instead of them having their, their big carnival they had every year, they decided to do a fundraising event here at the church. And so at this fundraising event, we had a magician named Dave Mays, who's an acquaintance of mine. And, and Dave was so good with the kids. I mean, he just uh, had a gift. He's a Christian-based magician. Uh, at the end of the event, he did give honor to Christ and explained to kids that magic wasn't real. But one of the things about watching magic... When you're a child, you look at magic and it's just like, wow, that's great. But as an adult, if you're like me, you never watch magic to see the end results. I mean, I am looking and I'm watching as closely as possible to see what is the trick. I mean, here he puts his top hat here. What, what, what's underneath there? I mean, what's he got stuffed up his sleeve or, behind, or in his ear or whatever the case is? And I'm just, I'm just looking real closely to see what's the catch I think that a lot of us, that's how we are with the miraculous. I mean, we're always saying, what is the catch here? What, what's going on? Here's a, the last thing I want you to, to write down is this, is that Jesus healed, but they didn't accept. I mean, I mean they, saw the, they saw the healing of Jesus, but they didn't believe. Mark, read five, verse 5 and Six with me again. And it says this. It says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So he could do miracles there because he did. Just, just to let you know, it's not that Jesus was powerless because he's never powerless. Jesus in his sovereign will did most of his miracles in the atmosphere of faith. But, but he was never limited. He was always in control. So it says that there in verse 5, he could not do any miracles. Well, but then he did miracles. In verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Why? Because even though the miracles were taking place, they were, they were looking at what is the trick, what's the trap door. I mean, what, what really is going on here? I mean, this cannot be the Messiah. This can't be the Son of God. This can't be Jesus. There has to be, be a trick here. See, that's been happening for a long time. In the early 19th century, biblical criticism came to its height. And it started with some of the Old Testament stories where what were considered the greatest theological minds of the day started questioning whether Moses really, really 
actually brought the children of Israel through on dry land. And then these same group of scholars or same stream of scholars begin to question, was Mary really a virgin? And you see it begins to develop. Before you know it, the question becomes, did Jesus really die? Or was he just in a coma for two nights? Or was he just asleep? And then ultimately, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? I mean, aren't there many paths to God? And, and that all started because people couldn't simply accept the miraculous. They couldn't just accept God is at work. They always had to look for the catch. They had to look for the excuse. They had to look for the back door. And I just want to challenge you this morning in this is that it's very easy for us. It's very easy for us to close our eyes to what God can do. The miraculous is all around you. The miraculous is all around you. Part of it is you being willing to accept the work of God and what he's doing. You being willing to say, God, this is you. What is a miracle? The question is, what is a miracle? A miracle is something in your life that can only be God. Something in your life that can only be God. And if there's nothing in your life that can, can't be directed towards him, then maybe there's pride in your life. And you have to figure everything out. You have to reason everything out. And there's nothing mysterious. There's nothing that says that has to be God. That has to be him working. Maybe it's pride or maybe it's a lack of faith. But either way, either way, I don't want you and I don't want us to be like the village of Nazareth. So let's talk about this for a second. Because, come on, I know that a lot of you are thinking right now, hey, great message, Aaron. Well, at least that's great for other people. Man, I agree with this, Aaron. I agree with what's happening. But I want to point this to you right now. I want to point this to you because many of us in here, I would say the majority of us in here, are around Jesus stuff a lot. We're around Jesus stuff a lot. Could it be that Jesus is getting really familiar to us? Could it be possible that we're really close to Jesus and in some ways we are amazed by him? But he's not really God in our lives. He's not really affecting us. We're, we're We've been around Jesus a long time. Here it was. Jesus was called to seek and save the lost. Jesus was called to draw all men unto him. Jesus was here to bring abundant life. But yet, in his own village, among his own people, among the people who knew him the longest, they didn't accept him. They didn't believe in his miracles. They had to find a catch. They were just too familiar. See, I'm not speaking against a village that existed 2,000 years ago. I'm speaking to your heart. I'm speaking to your heart this morning. I'm speaking to my heart. I'm speaking to a heart that can take the things of God and, and Jesus and it can become just too easy for us. We can go through the motions and God loves us too much for us to do that. 
That's why me personally, I love the fact that we have communion available every week. Once a month, we'll take communion together. And we're going to do that, I believe, on May 15th of this month, where we take the bread and the cup together. On the other weeks, we make communion available. And I love taking communion every week because growing up as an evangelical, that as we've developed, preaching is the center of the service. And I love to preach. I love to teach. But communion reminds us that Christ is the center of our worship. It's the center of our service. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, one time Jesus said this, he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And when he said that, a lot of people left him. A lot of people left him because they couldn't accept that. Communion reminds me that, hey, Jesus, you're not just someone that I admire. You're someone that I'm devoted to. Jesus, you're not just someone that helps me increase my sales because we so happen to live in an environment that if you didn't follow Jesus, for most of you, it would hurt your commerce. That's a far cry from our Christian brothers and sisters that are under persecution in many parts of the world. It's not just culturally acceptable. It's beneficial to follow Jesus. And the problem is you can start following the commercial Jesus and forget the crucified Jesus. Say, Jesus, I don't want to be like those who lived in the village of Nazareth. God, as a church, I don't want us to be like the people in the village of Nazareth. That Jesus is okay. He's amazing. But, but... But who is he really? (laughs) I mean, what right does the pastor have to start talking about my behavior? Well, it's because the Bible says that. It's not the pastor controlling your behavior. It's the word of God. He becomes so, Jesus becomes so familiar that we begin to define him to our own wisdom and our own understanding. And before we know it, we have this really safe Jesus that really fits into the categories of our life. But we forget that he is wanting to transform our hearts on a regular basis. He is wanting to come down to the deep parts of our hearts. One of the things I know the Lord wants to speak today. He already spoke it once today. Some of you are looking for a new revelation. And you're anxious about that. God, show me something new. Show me something new. The Lord wants to remind you today that the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection is completely what you need. And he wants to take what he's already revealed and burrow it deep into your heart. He wants it to go down deeper. He wants the power of the cross and the resurrection to uh, imprint on you and and impress upon you and, and to go deeper within you. See, it's not always about something new. It's taking what you've already been given and saying, that is all sufficient. Jesus, you are enough. The work of the cross is enough. The power of the resurrection is enough. I am not going to live in paranoia. What am I missing? What am I going to be left out of? I am going to take the message of the cross and the resurrected Lord, and I am going to cherish it, and I'm going to let God drive that deeper in my heart until it's so a part of me that Jesus is flowing out of me and everything I say and everything I do and who I am, that is what the message of the cross wants to do for you and in you. 
He wants to be transformational within you. Let's pray about this right now. God. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.